each of the last 16 seasons, the Pac-12 has won as many or more NCAA titles as any other conference in the country. We are the Conference of Champions. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. This is The Playbook with David Meltzer, and I'm live here at the Blue Wire Studios at the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas, and I have George Klyavkov. He's the commissioner at the Pac-12 Conference also in Las Vegas, just down the street, though. If I wish I knew, we'd all be live here. Uh, George, welcome to the playbook. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, one of the things I teach are the five daily practices, and it's knowing your what, knowing who you can help with the what and who can help you, knowing how you're going to get it done. But the most essential indicator of all to me is knowing your now. Uh, and because knowing your now represents how to prioritize things. Uh, and with so many different changes and accelerated changes, especially in the Pac-12 conference, uh, prioritization is key, and you must have your own strategy on to know what's important or urgent, and with so many different variables involved, how are you capable of prioritizing and being a strategy or a strategic uh, way of prioritizing all the different things you have to deal with? You know, I'm three months into the job, and the interesting thing is I started on July 1st, which was the first day of name, image, and likeness, first day in the history of college athletics that student-athletes could earn money using their brands without losing their eligibility. But even in the couple weeks before I started, crazy stuff was happening in, in college athletics. We had the Supreme Court deciding a very important case called Alston, we had the college football playoffs, uh, potential expansion being announced. And then in the couple weeks after I joined, we had uh, the NCA announcing that they were going to be completely rethinking what their responsibilities are going to be. And then finally, we had conference realignment with Texas and Oklahoma announcing that they were leaving uh, the Big 12 to go to the SEC. And that started a whole series of these um, kind of interactions about who's going to go where and who's going to poach what team. So it's been chaos in the first couple of months. But uh, I, before I joined, uh, talked to a lot of folks who were involved in college athletics and specifically uh, the Pac-12. And I asked them what was important, what, what should be a priority. I kind of took all that information in and created for myself a set of priorities, which I articulated. And they've stood the test of time over three months because despite these half dozen kind of really chaotic things happening, uh, those priorities provide a good filter for how we should think about approaching those issues. And I've been, I've been proud of the fact that we did the work before I joined to figure out what those priorities should be. What does that runway look like when you take on such an extraordinary role um, I'm always wondering, I'm more involved in the corporate setting where uh, it takes an amount of time to get alignment uh, with a corporation and there's many other people there uh, to help you. What was the runway timing wise for you to really get up to speed and get alignment uh, with the critical business issues that face the Pac-12? But it was much shorter than I wanted it to be. Uh, I got approached by the recruiter only three or four weeks before I was publicly announced as the commissioner. And that was a month and a half before I took the job. 
but there was a lot of public speculation about who was going to take this position, and they didn't want to delay the announcement for fear of it leaking. So after I took the job, I really had less than a week to prepare for my opening press conference, and it was a very condensed process. I like to usually spend more time being thoughtful uh, and having some time to reflect, particularly if I'm publicly going to say what our priorities are. Uh, but but the work turned out to be accurate, and I, I kind of stand by what we said originally. But um, it didn't allow me as much time as I normally would like. And now with everything that's going on in college athletics, uh, I'm kind of facing the same issues, right? I, uh, we have these half dozen enormous issues in front of us. Any which one of would be a full-time job, uh, but uh, they're all on their own timelines and they're moving at different speeds and you just have to be reactive. And how much work group ethics uh, or work group co collaboration is there between the commissioners? Because you know, obviously coaches, it's very difficult because of the competitive nature of the teams uh, or an AD uh, to be as collaborative. But as commissioners of the conferences, it seems to be that you would have to be much more coordinated and collaborative in the decisions that you're making. Uh, because like you said, when Texas leaves or you know other transitions have been made as you went from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10 to the Pac-12 in my career, uh, with, by the way, my business partner being the MVP of the Rose Bowl uh, way back when, yeah. it's near and dear to my heart. Um, how collaborative are commissioners within the conferences uh, today compared to maybe even in the past? I, I think you can't be successful at this job without being inclusive and collaborative. And, uh, you know, I work for the presidents and the chancellors of the 12 universities. That's my board of directors. But I work for the presidents and chancellors. I work with the athletic directors. And as an example of how important not just I, but the athletic directors thought that was, uh, July 1st was my first day. The second week of June, all 12 of the athletic directors actually flew to spend a day with me uh, in Las Vegas and introduced themselves, uh, sit down. There was a social component to the day, but the majority of the day was sitting in a room having very difficult discussions about how can we make the Pac-12 better, what do we need to do collaboratively? What choices do we have to make? I'll give you one example of a very difficult choice that, that we made in that room. Um, I, I said one of the priorities for our conference is winning football and men's basketball championships. Uh, you know, whether we like it or not, in today's world, uh, the perception of a Power Five conference is tied to whether or not they win those two championships. And unfortunately for our conference, it's been 17 years since we've won one of those two championships, and I find that unacceptable. And we sat around the table. You can't bring said, John Wooden you know, back to life? Decisions. You can't bring John Wooden back to life? That's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would certainly help. Yeah. We've got a lot of great coaches in the history of our conference. But, um, but, but it's interesting. I, you know, 70 or 80% of the decisions that lead to those CFP invitations and NCAA tournament bids happens on the campus. But I believe that 20 or 30% of the decisions sit and rest at the conference, and the conference can play one of two roles, right? The conference can make all those decisions to play for parity, or can make all of those decisions with the intent purpose of making it more likely that our teams that have put themselves in the position to get a CFP invitation or an NCAA bid get those bids and invitations. And I went around the table with the athletic directors and I said, my intention is to do the difficult thing, 
which is to favor some of our teams late in the season and the decisions that I get to make around scheduling, timing of games, you know, some of the other issues that I get to decide at the margins. And every single one of the 12 athletic directors unanimously agreed that even though their individual teams might be hurt by that decision in the short term, it's in the best interest of the conference. And that's when I knew that I was going to have smooth sailing when I joined on July 1st was when in June, the athletic directors kind of unanimously said, we're with you on that. We know that's a tough decision, but we agree. And it's a smart decision I find in business and personal realm that we make the mistake that we put 80% of our resources into the things that bleed us. Uh, which would be in comparison, you know, some of the weaker teams that need me help or, and instead of what would happen if we put those same 80% of the resources into the things that are feeding us, then we become more powerful and all of a sudden all the other programs benefit and you see it again and again. And this is a space that I've been in for a long time, which is actually too why I like uh, the NIL deal, the naming um, image and likeness deal, because I think Kids that may or may not, um, and I know this did never happen in the Pac-12, but outside of the Pac-12, kids who may have been receiving monies, that was no good for anyone. It wasn't good for the coaches that felt they had to do it, or athletic directors, or the business people around the, the, the local community, especially, that just wanted to support their team, and the kids were better. Yeah. Now I see the guys that had a possibility of getting paid are getting paid, and even more importantly, I think you'll see, especially because of social media in the micro-influencer space, that you'll get the captain of the lacrosse team uh, get an extra $1,000 a month. That will change their life, uh, and the business people around will be more closely tied to the universities in the Pac-12. So I think in one respect, you're 100% right on leaning into what feeds you uh, with the big two uh, uh, sports, but I think with the NIL side, it's less about the guys that could be paid and more about uh, all the other sports that now can really get a lot of help that they never got before and I think attract better talent because kids want to play a sport that may be alternative but really can't afford not to pay attention. Uh, you'd have to get a, a side job but still want to be a water polo player or make the Olympics. And, you know, at one time UCLA, you know, one, one of the strong Pac-12 schools, I think they had more gold medals than some a lot of countries. They would have ranked like eighth on on the earth as far as a country UCLA by itself what are some of the other areas that the common you know even sports executive like myself may not know as you came into the job had some epiphanies about wow if we just made this little shift and I convinced you know the group about this we could make a major impact was there any other epiphanies that you had yeah, I don't know if there are epiphanies and they're not minor shifts right this is an <laughs> aircraft carrier we've got 7,000 athletes <laughs> You know, we just um, to, to round out what you were saying before, we, we looked at it, and if you deduplicate the medals that Pac 12 affiliated athletes won in Tokyo, we would have been the fifth country, the Pac 12. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's awesome. And, you know, our, our history and legacy is being the conference of champions. I, I talked a little bit about football and men's basketball, but we dominate all the other sports. If, if you look historically, 56 of the last 61 years, and each of the last 16 seasons, the Pac-12 has won as many or more NCAA titles as any other conference in the country. We are the conference of champions. We've just not been as strong recently in the two sports 
that are the biggest revenue sports and get the most attention. So, you know, we're not walking away from our legacy as the Conference of Champions while we focus on football and men's basketball. I think we can, you know, walk and chew gum, do both of them at the same time. And how, you know, I sit on the board of the Rose Bowl, uh, and obviously with the national championship as it stands today, the Rose Bowl had great significance because it always had the champion of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time and the Big Ten. Uh, obviously, you have to share uh, the, the success did that have an impact on recruiting that not necessarily would you get that granddaddy of them all experience by winning uh, the conference? Has that have any impact at all? I don't think so. Uh, we have tremendous bowl tie-ins up and down our schedule. Um, obviously, the Rose Bowl has always been the, the height of the end of the season opportunity for uh, all of the Pac-12 uh, football athletes. But what I would say is, we're playing for national titles and because the CFP has arranged it in a different way where sometimes that means you go through the Rose Bowl and sometimes not, I think that's what our kids are focused on. That's certainly what our coaches are focused on. Uh, last question real quick. The future, you know, there, there yeah. seems to be a democratization uh, with the NCAA as itself and as you get power conferences, uh, the trend, it seems to me, uh, to, it's almost like American politics. We have this huge separation uh, and the TV dollars are flowing where the Pac-12 itself and the, the Pac-12 network, uh, for example, are, are so powerful. Um, where do you see this new democratization of the NCAA where you, know, you have the individual athletes having more power, individual brands having more power, individual conferences having more power in bigger economies? Where do you see this is all going to go in the next decade? Well, I think that's going to continue. I think we're going to see um, players have a larger voice, and we think they should have a larger voice. Um, uh, we think that the power conferences are going to get bigger and stronger. We're fortunate to be one of those five power conferences. Uh, the, the underlying kind of media consumption habits are actually in our favor. Um, there are more and more you know, uh, multi-channel video providers that are trying to differentiate themselves. Sports content is by far the most important content. It's exclusive. It attracts a great audience. People don't fast forward through the commercials, so the ads are more valuable. The Pac-12 particularly um, attracts an incredible demographic. So we think we sit in a pretty good place. We've got two or three years left on our media rights, and um, you know that's the engine, that's the financial generator that supports everything we do. And we have an, an opportunity to take another bite at that apple in the next couple of years. And I'm looking forward to it. And through that, where do you see the NCAA? Uh, will they survive through all this? Yeah, I, the interesting thing as an outsider coming in in the last couple of months is I look at the NCAA as an organization that sits over all of Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. My son is a Division Three basketball athlete. Um, the athletic department that he plays basketball in is in a completely different business than a D2 athletic department or even a D1 athletic department. And even in D1, there's a significant difference in the business that you're running. If you have football or you don't have football, if you're part of a power five conference or not. And I just don't see how a single entity can sit over all of those schools, more than a thousand schools and come up with rules that make sense for all of those different business models. So whether the NCA as an entity survives or not, I think is less important than thinking about how each of the individual athletic departments 
will partner with like-minded businesses to put in place a organizational structure and a trade association, if you will, that makes sense for their business models. So we're very focused, uh, you know, as division one and as part of the FBS group and as part of the autonomy five or power five conference group in what's the best structure for governance of uh, similarly situated schools and conferences than what we have in the Pac-12. And you left quite a legacy at the MGM, uh, really transforming the sports and entertainment world of Las Vegas, uh, led by MGM uh, while you were there. What legacy, do you, finally, do you want to leave uh, there for the Pac-12? Well, I, the legacy follows the mission, in my estimation. The mission at MGM Resorts was entertain the human race. And I think we did as good a job of that as any company in the history of the world. And I hope that MGM will continue to accelerate that and do even better. And given the colleagues I left behind, I, I believe that that will happen. I said I went from the best uh, job in entertainment to the best job in sports. The reason I made the jump is because of the mission of what the Pac-12 was doing. You know, we're, we're all about developing the next generation of leaders. And specifically, my job, if I do it well, protects and creates new scholarships. And it gives kids that otherwise would not have the opportunity to go to one of the 12 greatest universities in the world, that opportunity in the Pac-12. And I can't think of a mission that's more important than helping to educate the world. I agree. And as a product of six kids in my family, all who got scholarships to college, uh, it's so important because leaders themselves, like yourself, are intelligent followers. And in order to be an intelligent follower, you have to be educated. And those are some of the finest, not only athletic institutions, but as you know, the Pac-12 absolutely are 12 of the finest academic institutions in the world. George, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Uh, wish I was a few miles away with you. But from here, <laughs> George, thank you for joining me. This is David Meltzer live at the Wynn Hotel with the playbook at Blue Wire Studios. Thank you so much, George.